Hi, this is Elizabeth Collins from New Zealand Vegan Podcast. You can find me at nzveganpodcast.blogspot.com. I'm in Auckland, New Zealand, and right now you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well. Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Not just your everyday special episode, but the 30th special episode in a row. I was going to do a big special, let's see where welfare reform has gotten us now, from the animals film to earthlings, but I had trouble finding special co-stars, so maybe it's a topic for the future. Before I begin, just one extra special shout out. I added a fancy widget to the right side of my blog that shows where visitors are located. I think it's fun to notice where everyone is visiting from, and it's public, anyone can see. I noticed a particularly special location. I'd like to say hello to the visitor from a particular US city, Gary, Indiana. I think we all know what's special about Gary. Indiana, the birthplace of Rebby, Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, Latoya, Marlon, Randy, Janet, and Mikhail, Mikhail, Michael, Michael Jackson. The Jackson's last album was even titled 2300 Jackson Street, their birthplace. What more does a stalker need? Constant GPS location updates from an iPhone? Where I hail from, the world-famous city of Invercargill, is a Jackson Street, and I've always thought I could buy number 23 and scribble a couple zeros on the end. I'd tell everyone I lived at 2300 Jackson Street. The smart people would work it out that 2300 was between 22 and 24, and I wouldn't get as much junk mail, because, um, New Zealand streets kinda don't go to 2300. I've been planning a dream tour of America all my life, it seems. All the places I'd like to go. Mainly museums, actually, to see historic fighter jets or space rockets. Michael Jackson's childhood home sounds quite fun to visit. If the person from Gary is listening, hi. I'd love to get a photo of you from outside the house, number 2300, on Jackson Street. I believe, from Google Maps, the house is right near Leonard Douglas Stadium. My email address is jwontdart at gmail.com. J-A-Y-W-O-N-T-D-A-R-T at gmail.com. Although, let's be honest, I know it's a weird idea, and I'm not getting my hopes up. 
Another specific address I'd like to visit in America is Area 51. You know, in between areas 50 and 52. I'm sure it's just like here in New Zealand, where if you turn up at THE military base, you can sit in THE fighter aircraft from the 1900s and relive the New Zealandy-Australiano war. Sea Shepherd's silly stink bombs are far more lethal than the New Zealand armed forces. Surely they have tours of Area 51, right? I mean, if I fly for 20 odd hours, and boy will my arms be tired, to get to the other side of the world, I want to shake the alien's hand, or appendage, or whatever they have. I received some feedback from my friend Live Critter, who mentioned reading my blog post. This is such a great post, but the visual format, small white text on a black background, made it incredibly hard to read. I ended up copying, pasting it into a text file, and reading from there. Would you consider a different template to make it easier for people to get the important messages you're blogging? Well, I've always liked white text on black, mainly to annoy my high school typing teacher. She also hated the name typing. Young man, it's text information management, or Tim. Incidentally, I really hope people listen to my podcast rather than read the scripts I post, but I figure, why not include my script, if you're on dial-up or otherwise cannot stand my voice? I feel very Web 2.0, including my script, being all open and sharing. I'm not thrilled with the current template, but it's probably easy to read. I like mentioning fast food ads that jab at vegetarians. I recently saw a Burger King ad. The rebel, it's so something that even the most dedicated vegetarian could turn. That's why it's called the rebel. First of all, Burger King's trick is to reintroduce the same basic burgers under different names. They either add bacon or barbecue sauce or both and give it a fancy new name. And then they remove that product, swap the bacon to barbecue sauce ratio and voila, a new burger is created. KFC also had a similar ad, with an annoying teenage girl dressed up as a goth or emo, joining the family eating chicken. Not many lines in the script, her father says, I thought you were a vegetarian, and the brat says, well, not on Tuesdays. And the ad finished with something like, KFC, the big chicken bucket, oh yeah. I'm always somewhat happy to even hear the term vegetarian being used. It's good if people know that there are other ways of life. But I do get annoyed if it's just to make us look like teenage girls on a fad diet, or as if we were really missing out to feel like an elitist. My first story. Seemingly drunken and hungover parrots are dropping out of the sky in the Northern Territory, and the experts are at a loss to explain why. The red-collared lorikeets lose coordination and pass out after eating a mystery food, Lisa Hansen of the Ark Animal Hospital at Palmerston, near Darwin, said on Thursday. Red-collared lorikeets are a Northern Territory subspecies of the rainbow lorikeet. It happens every year around the season. They lose all balance and we find them fallen out of trees in the sky, she says. Unless someone intervenes, they can't fly and will get picked up by predators. Unable to function. It seems that the birds get intoxicated by something they have eaten, and it renders them unable to fly and function. They get very sick as a result. Around 8 to 10 birds a day have been brought to the hospital after falling to the ground in backyards and along roadsides. There are now a total of 40 lorikeets receiving treatment. Once again, the Australians are ripping off New Zealand. We've had drunken, um, er, kereru. I think I said that right. Did I, William? Um, drunken New Zealand wood pigeons for millions of years, presumably. 
We had flocks of wild rainbow lorikeets in New Zealand. I heard they were everywhere in Auckland a few years back. Of course, our Department of Conservation, Doc, always eager to lend a hand, wiped out all the colourful little parrots. It's just a normal day for Doc, the same lot that are most well known for using the controversial 1080 poison on possums. Doc were also responsible in the purification of Auckland Island pigs for the crime of eating New Zealand native plants on those rocks in the middle of nowhere. I believe possums are loved in their native Australia, where they are at least somewhat rare. They are drawn as cute cartoon characters and toy possums are sold. We really need to respect our little Australian visitors better, rather than rounding them all up, or using poison. My idea would just be to round up Australian Animal X, and include them on a plane flight back to Australia. Sure they'd have to be put through quarantine for a period of time, but it's better than 1080 poisoning. 1080 causes animals to spaz out in delirium, frothing at the mouth until they die. We wouldn't even need special flights to Australia. Quite large numbers of New Zealanders give up our green pastures for the browner deserts of Australia and better paying jobs. Surely there is some space on those planes for a dozen birds or possums on each flight. I heard the rainbow lorikeets in Auckland were brutally exterminated because they have quite messy droppings and they quote, compete for food, whatever that means. Competing with New Zealand natives sounds a bit like blaming everything on immigrants to me. Fake Steve Jobs had an interesting take on AT&T that I feel is relevant. Fake Steve was an anonymous blog about what Apple CEO Steve Jobs would really think about current issues. So we set up a call with Randall this morning to discuss some of the profoundly stupid things his guy Ralph de la Vega said recently about creating incentives that would encourage people to stop using AT&T's data network so much. Point of the talk was, when you're lucky enough to create a smash hit product, when the stars align and the hardware is great, and the ecosystem is great, and the apps are great, and the whole experience is great, and everything you do just makes everything else seem better, and you're totally on a roll and can do no wrong. When that happens, you do not go out and try to frig it all up by discouraging people who love your product. What you do, instead, is you fix your, um, I'll censor this, fix your stupid network, you idiot. So this post mentions the Meet the Beatles, um, record, whatever record was, and how popular it was on release. Now there was a lot of demand for that record, so much that the plant that printed the records couldn't keep up. Now here's the lesson. Do you think the guys who are running Capitol Records said, gee whiz, the kids are buying up this record at such a crazy pace that our printing plant ke can't keep up. We'd better find a way to slow things down. Maybe if we create an incentive that would discourage people from buying the record. Do you think they said that? No, they did not. What they did was, they went out and found another printing plant, and another one, and another one, until they could make as many records as people wanted. If these beautiful little illegally immigrated parrots from Australia were such a problem, eating all available food before hard-working New Zealand evolved birds could get their beaks in, why not just provide more food? Encourage Aucklanders to place bird seed, sugar water, or popular nectar-producing plants to attract their lovely little birds. I've heard from vegans who lived in the area, and how they loved feeding the rainbow lorikeets. And now, they feel their quality of life has really been hurt, because the birds were removed, you know, killed. I suppose putting out more food for all birds would be a reasonable and magnificent solution though, so Doc would want nothing to do with it. 
No, instead, all the Rainbow Lorikeets were killed. Doc has some wonderfully evil documents about the Rainbow Lorikeet. By the way, what an awful sounding name for the worst threat to this proud nation's security. The dreaded Rainbow Lorikeet. I'm sure pregnant woman faint just hearing the term. If you own a Rainbow Lorikeet, you must be a responsible owner and keep it in secure caging. Unwanted birds must not be released into the wild. They must be surrendered to Bird Rescue or the Dock Auckland Area Office. Ha, huh, right. You must surrender these terrorist, war criminal Rainbow Lorikeets to the quote, Bird Rescue. Those birds are not going to be rescued. Sounds sort of like 1984 to me, the Ministry of Love. And secure caging, I can imagine a maximum security jail, with razor wire fences, trip wires, and roving searchlights from the guard towers. Another quote. Significant numbers of captive reared birds were illegally and deliberately released in the Auckland area in the 1990s, and had started breeding in the wild. By 1999, a feral population of 150 to 200 birds had established, proving they can survive and adapt to the New Zealand environment. Wow, a whole 200 birds at most. What a plague. I bet you could see that many seagulls in Auckland on any given day. And deliberately released by who? What? A mad scientist from a comic book? Or the Wicked Witch of the West from Wizard of Oz? After her flying monkeys failed to devastate New Zealand's nectar production? Quote. Well, not a quote from the Wicked Witch of the West. I wish it was, though. Rainbow lorikeets are strong flyers and have been recorded travelling over 30 kilometres between roosting sites and feeding grounds in Auckland. Because of this flying ability, they pose a significant threat to those species whose survival is only possible on island sanctuaries which have been cleared of predators. Well, because of this flying ability, as if Doc had only ever encountered New Zealand native birds that cannot fly. What the hell is that? It's as if it's swimming through the air. Witchcraft! Yes, it is 10 o'clock. Besides, 30 kilometres a day? A few centimetre long dragonfly can easily do over 100. I found a website covering both opinions about the birds, and a figure of nearly 250,000 New Zealand dollars is mentioned being spent on trapping and killing rainbow lorikeets. The ways that were described as humane and as Putting down the birds elsewhere are said to involve neck breaking, lethal injection, poisoning and shooting. It reminds me of the quote, humane way to kill a lobster, putting the poor thing in a freezer where he or she would quote, go to sleep. You're right, the extreme cold would put the unprotected animal into a coma. There is no such thing as a quote, humane way to kill an innocent little animal. No healthy animal wants to die, they want to live. You are not doing them a favour by killing them for the crime of being born, or perhaps more accurately, evolved overseas. Rainbow lorikeets are not an animal that keeps me from sleeping peacefully. I don't see what the big threat is here. Perhaps it's more jealousy from Doc that Australian birds are so colourful and New Zealand natives are generally brown and flightless. Well, apart from that other drunk, the kiruru and its blood-red eyes. To be fair to Doc, I have heard reports that the war criminal lorikeets are no longer, quote, humanely put down, but captured and sold, or given to collectors. I guess the lucky birds get to spend the rest of their lives in little cages. What a prize! Perhaps the absolute luckiest get to fly for a few seconds in any direction. I'd actually choose death over living in a cage for the rest of my life. I admit, 
New Zealand is incredibly underprepared from the continual attack from Australia. Sure, their initial shock troops, those awful rainbow lorikeets have devastated our flowering trees. I mean, I haven't seen so much as a flowering weed for the last decade. God help us if they send over the wombats. But really, if rainbow lorikeets, pretty little birds who eat nectar, are the worst threat to our sovereignty, we really don't have anything to complain about, right? I'd like to mention an old clip about UK hospitals reducing meat on their menus. It's all about carbon emissions. Here's part of the clip. They're publishing a plan which sets out how, what their carbon footprint is, so um, how much carbon they emit um, from their own operations and also from all sorts of things like people driving to hospitals and the production of the drugs they use, etc. And then they're going to set out a series of ideas for how that can be reduced over the coming years, uh, short-term ideas that can be implemented quite quickly, and then some long-term ideas um, which they are in the report or hinted at, but they might also discuss. So give us an idea about some of, some of the proposals then. Well, they, they range from the quite specific. So uh, one of the ideas, as we suggested in the story, is to uh, have menus which uh, don't have any meat options at all because meat is a, a particularly high-carbon ingredient compared to other things, particularly fruit and vegetables, pulses, that sort of thing. What an odd and ultimately ill-advised idea to remove meat from hospital menus. I'm sure it's all some kind of plot to get people angry about pushy vegetarians. I don't think you can really force people to not eat something. I'm not going to petition local schools to remove all animal products from their canteens. I remember my high school trying to remove any sugary foods Bye-bye Coca-Cola and lollies, the students were very angry, and they walked a minute or two to a New World supermarket, a few blocks away, and spent their money away from the school. I don't think we should focus on removing meat from menus and public facilities. I think promoting veganism is a far better choice, and it's not something that we can force upon the world. It sure seems like a lot of these publicised vegetarian stories are coming from the UK, I think there's a real backlash against vegetarians from these ideas. The general meat-free Monday idea. I'd like to include a clip of Sir Paul McCartney singing one of his crazy new songs. But my internet is at dial-up speeds right now, so I, I don't want to get the clip. So, I'll give you a rendition. Trust me, I can't be singing it any worse than the ex-Beatle. It's a meat-free Monday, it's a fun day, and it's happening all around the world. dang a dang a dang a dang Something like that. And that's an idea that we're all meant to rally behind? I liked this story about a pukiko, um, another practically flightless New Zealand bird. They are blue and red and wade in swamps with their long, stilt-like legs. They are sort of like a plump little stork. Now, we've all heard stories about animal odysseys, but how about this? Despite being taken 70 kilometres away in a darkened cage, Perky found his own way back to the family he loves in just a single day. Now, it'd be a pretty amazing feat for your average cat or dog, but Perky is neither of those. No, Perky is a pukeko. Jill Higgins with a story of determined devotion. He looks like a pukeko, but acts like a kid. Comes to eating, well, only cat food will do. It was only ten days ago that Perky landed at the family farm as if from nowhere. Just decided to um, walk into the house like he owned the place. 
wandered all over the house, just wandering around, picking up bits and pieces off the floor, into the bed, just made himself at home, basically. You could stroke him, um, scratch his neck. Is that where you like it? Just there? Is that the right spot? Yeah, it was a great throw at first. Yeah, the kids really loved it. <laughs> We'd all be running down chasing the soccer ball and he'd come flying from the other end right down and he'd get involved. Get up, with me, Becky, with me. Where's your support plate? Come on. He really thought he was one of the kids, I think. But Perky saw himself as one of the big kids, so he began to try it on. Today's going to bite my toes. Yes, he might bite your toes. Do you want to go inside? No. One of the kids was a little bit scared of him and it was able to chase her and then I think it got a, a, a sense that he was further up the pecking order. No, Perky! And since then, he's become a bit of a pain. No! I don't like <laughs> So the kids have to be coaxed on, outside now. Preferring to spend their time as Perky's prisoners. So does this mean you're all stuck inside? Yeah. He chases us a lot. We're all terrified, so we all have to walk past. Well, I wasn't that much scared of him when he came here, but now he's starting picking us. Why does he scare you? He scares me. And as if that wasn't bad enough. It's kind of naughty when he makes the mess, like pooing and pooing at the front door. It's not very nice, really, is it? No, it's not that nice. So Perky had to go. At first, they dropped him the other side of the lake, but back he came. It was time for more drastic action. I rang up Rudy from Fish and Game Whangarei, and I said to him, look, we've got this hard case pook, and did he have any suggestions? I suggested that perhaps the bird had a future as a, as a show pony somewhere in a, in a commercial. You know the ones. It seemed the perfect solution to give him the chance of stardom in Auckland. So Perky was boxed up and taken away. He travelled an hour south of Whangarei, not being able to see a thing where he was. And then he was transferred into Rudy's vehicle and he drove south of Whangarei to his place. And um, that was that, as far as I was concerned. But Perky had another plan. He escaped from the aviary he'd been put in and began his intrepid journey back to the Jack family farm. On Sunday morning, we heard a familiar squawk out the window and um, one of the kids said, oh, that sounds like Perky. It was. For this bird to have travelled from down here near Tauroa, all the way up to Pakaraka up here, Jack's Lake. That's a distance of over 70 k's. How on earth could a pukako come that far? I don't know. I mean, the thing that mystifies me is, is how that little brain worked out where it was on the planet and where it needed to get on the planet. It's pretty phenomenal, really. Yeah, because how long do you think it would take you to walk there? Oh, well, probably two or three days, I would think. It took Perky a single day, and Pukekos supposedly rarely fly. Yeah, he's a very fast walker. Are you sure it was the same Pukeko? Yeah, I mean, it did cross my mind. I thought, well, maybe it's just coincidence, but, I mean, no. No, Perky is one of a kind, and although they love him... ..the pecks and the poos are just too much, so he still has to go. Yeah, I'll miss him, because he'll squawk away, you know, he'll let you scratch his neck, and just a neat little guy. That's right, nothing worse than a house guest who does his business on the front deck, so Perky is heading back to the animal trainer who could make a star of him yet. Not likely, although I'm sure modern, quote, animal trainers are far different from those who used to whip the elephants. 
Surely, they now focus on rewarding supposed good behaviours with food, I would think. I'd rather this lovely Pukeke was left to his, or her, bro genders can be hard to tell. I wish this friendly Pukeko was left to his or her freedom. What an odd bird. Pukekos can fly, but they choose not to, normally. This whole damn country is against flight, I'm sure of it. Pukekos featured in a recent energy ad that enthralled the nation. It was of course referenced in the clip I played. I've included a link in my notes and I recommend that you watch the Perky Pukeko Trek video clip in full. Pukekos are very nice looking birds. The Pukeko has another, English name, the Swamp Hen. New Zealanders all use the term Pukeko though. Why can we grant special animals abilities to remember, think, plan and complete marathon journeys but not quote, farm animals? A Pukeko is really not much more than a specialised blue chicken. You can tell by the never used English term, Swamp Hen. They have far longer legs, a different shaped head, and blue feathers, that's really the only differences. If a Pukeko can remember a location, why wouldn't a chicken? Why could a chicken not travel 70 kilometres? I'm sure if they wanted, my little friends in the backyard could go on marathon walks too, and find their way back to my chicken shed. After all, a hen normally remembers where she laid her eggs, and they always like to roost in the same location, never more than a centimetre or so off. It actually annoys me where the rooster and hen stand. Chickens sleep standing up, and these ones sleep underneath their fully grown chicks now. So, they sometimes end up with, um, waste on their feathers from above. Also, when it's cold outside, I try and encourage them all to nest in the straw beds I've provided, rather than perch on the wood of the nesting boxes where it might be gusty. But, do you think they want to sleep in a nice warm straw bed? Not a chance. It's good enough for Miss Hen to lay her eggs there, and to raise the few day-old chicks, but they all refuse to nestle in warm straw. They want to stand up. They made their choice a year ago, and that's where they always want to sleep. Animals definitely have independent thoughts, and there's nothing we can do about it, no matter how silly they might appear to us. This whole Pukeko Trek story reminded me of a bad movie from when I was young. Bingo! This trailer might be a bit cheesy for you. They say that dog is man's best friend, but nothing can stop the heroic and loyal escapades of this hilarious canine. Bingo is an outrageous comedy adventure that's sure to have the whole family howling. His name is Bingo. He's a dog. He just needs a little boy to play frisbee with. The only thing that dog's gonna catch is a bullet. His name's Chucky. He needs a dog. And from the moment Bingo landed in Chucky's life... Things started looking up. Just a couple of obstacles stood in the way of this team. What are you guys saying? That I'm hiding a dog or something? Bingo. Chucky's family. I hate animals. Rover. And a change of address. Bingo! Bingo, where are you? Bingo! But Bingo didn't give up. He got moving. No dog can track you that distance. And as he made tracks, he made friends. Is that champagne? You've been drinking. Enemies. They've got us surrounded. One move and the dog dead. 
gets it. And the 6 o'clock news. Your Honor, could we have the court reporter read back the dog's testimony? I'm gonna get you if it's the last thing I do. Nothing can stop a dog like Bingo. He's all business. Assistant dishwashing. Even when business... Raw meat? ...is a pleasure. Hi, Bingo. Miss us? Because nothing comes between a dog and a dog's best friend. Bingo. Can I keep him, Dad? Just as soon as we have him neutered. I grew up watching some terrible movies. The boy is separated from his new canine friend when the human family moves. The dog manages to track the boy down, somehow, well, partially through the boy peeing on the side of the road, and the dog remembers how the boy's urine smelled. All throughout the movie, the dog Bingo has guns pointed at him, along with death threats. Pretty shocking to be in a child's film. And why would a dog be such a threat to a couple murderers? He's all business. Whatever that means. The dog, or dogs used, spend half the movie panting. And of course, (laughs) at the end of the movie, the young boy is trapped in a burning building, as always happens to young boys who go on adventures with the family dog. I think there might have been a time bomb, or something too. I presume this bingo knew to chew through the green wire, like all border collies. I'm sure all animals have a general sense of bearing. They know where they are in the world. This would especially be true of birds, and Pukikos are no more special than chickens. A bizarre theft has got animal cruelty watchdogs up in arms. Fourteen sheep plus four people were found by police, all crammed into a car near Flaxmere in Hawke's Bay. Simon Bradwell has more. Safe and sound in a pen today, it's hard to believe these 12 sheep were found in this car early this morning. Stuffed into a car like you were stuffing a pillow. I mean, it's just plain cruelty to animals, really. Police found the sheep after pulling the car over after a short chase in Flaxmere around 3am. Hog-tied and in distress, another two sheep died from suffocation in the boot and back seat. Obviously, had that seat down so that they can get as many animals in the car as possible. Um, and obviously squeeze the two other passengers in the back there. At up to $100 a head, the council says sheep rustling is a serious problem in the area with hundreds of sheep taken this year. A lot of farmers are pretty vigilant at the moment, either standing guard over their stock, and, um, but they can't be there all the time. Basically when they're turning their backs, yeah, it's pretty much been stolen right under their noses. Police have arrested three of the men in the car and say they're looking for one other. We've executed a number of search warrants today and been to three addresses where we have found evidence that stock are being slaughtered in the garages. Animal welfare officers say earmarks suggest the sheep were stolen from three properties. Any farmer wanting to claim them should contact the council. Simon Bradwell, One News. Every man on the street has the same opinion about this story. It's a bloody outrage! And the general, how would they like it? Well, all farm animals will end up being killed. And if you are happy enough to support that, so really, what's wrong with putting a few animals into a small area for an hour or so? I don't see how we can be furious about animals being jammed in a car for a short period of time, while absolutely looking forward to eating our next lamb chop. The issue is not treatment, it's use. I don't think it matters to the sheep if they're in the back seat alone with their seatbelt on, or if there are two of them. I wouldn't spend all my time drafting laws about how many stolen sheep can be in a Mazda before it's animal cruelty. It's cruel to artificially inseminate a cow. 
It's cruel to mince up male chicks. It's cruel to kill sheep. We shouldn't be killing animals. It's simple. I've mentioned Peter Leach, the mad butcher, before on my show. Now, for being such a great guy, he's been sort of rewarded. It's not quite as exciting as when you see you have a new follower on Twitter, but I hear it's something older generations respect. Has anyone ever been knighted with a meat cleaver? Well, they might have to change the rules because the mad butcher has just become Sir Peter Leach. He's been made a Knight's Companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit for his services to business and philanthropy. Bob McNeil has more. What a night from football fanatic Go the mighty Vodafone Warriors on to butcher and now a knight of the realm. But there's never been a night like this before. I think it's uh, John Keener's uh, party have given it to the people of New Zealand, really, and I think they've broken the mould of uh, uh, these rewards because uh, certainly I'm not the PC sort of bloke that normally gets them. I'm uh, the rough-and-tumbled old mad butcher. Sir Peter was born in Newtown in Wellington, the youngest of seven children. He fought dyslexia and left school early. Since then, it seems oh, like he's always been raising money for charities. He says the knighthood is a very humbling experience. It's for the bloke that gave me his last dollar. It's for the lady that offered to come and, you know, make teas for us while we're doing a voluntary gig. The new knight says his life has been a dream, but the love of his life, besides his family, is league, especially when he managed the Kiwi team that won the Tri-Nations in 2005. In recent years, the Mad Knights battled bladder cancer. We have uh, a light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm a lot better off than a lot of other people, to be fair. So uh, the main thing is, for men, if you're not feeling well, go to the bloody doctor. So what now for the Mad Knight? Anyone who knows him will still be the butt of his jokes. You didn't tell me it's going to be all blokes. I thought it was all young cheerless. That's why I said I'd do it. So the Knight's dream life continues, and wherever he is, he'll still be heard. Bob McNeil... Three news. Unreal. I mean, sure he's given a lot of his fortune away to different charities, but being pessimistic, you can say that rich people often get twice as much positive PR for their donations as it actually cost them. I'm sure the people who have received help from this, the mad butcher, are very grateful, but I don't know if he deserves a special title. I said on episode 28 about how I felt bad for disparaging medical experiments on animals. So many people have this idea in their heads that they are absolutely needed, that the only way to cure all that ails mankind is if we keep rare pigs in, quote, factory farming conditions. If we keep these poor animals away from sunlight, to be killed for their organs, or currently a single organ, that somehow that's our only chance. I feel like the bad guy if I speak out against potential medicines, but I always have the hope in our ability to invent... I'm sure we can work our way out of any situation. I loved this story about a size reduction in artificial heart technology. For nearly two years, 43-year-old Charles OKK has tried to live a normal life in the hospital, tethered to a 400-pound machine. It kind of overwhelms you to think I'm stuck to a machine. OKK was barely 30 when a blood clot destroyed his heart. He had a transplant, and for 10 years, life was good for this computer consultant, a father of three. But in 2008, his body rejected that heart, and at that time, another transplant was out of the question. There is 
a an artificial heart inside of me um, that the tubes connect to from this exit site right here. The sound you hear is the total artificial heart. Both ventricles were removed along with four valves. Connector tubes were sewn in and it pumps blood just like a human heart. Tell me about the moment you realized that you had now a total artificial heart there. For the longest time I could not physically put my hand to my chest because it felt so weird. But OKK's life is about to be transformed. The FDA has just approved this backpack-sized device that runs on batteries and weighs just 13 pounds. It's the first portable technology to support the entire artificial heart. Sensors that used to be the size of a can of soup are now about the size of a quarter. That type of leap in technology has enabled us to downsize the entire console. You're on the new device. Charles OKK is the first heart patient in the country to test the Freedom Driver. But there are worries. Will this device supply enough power to the heart so the liver and kidneys function too? Will OKK trust his heart to this machine? How comfortable he feels with the device. And that's going to be as important as all the other organs working. After a few more weeks readjusting the Freedom Driver, OKK experiences his freedom for the first time in years. Wow. Leaving the hospital with a hero's goodbye. <laughs> Charles has come home where his real heart is. I am about as happy as a person as you can have right now. To be able to sleep in my own bed after two years on a hospital bed, um, you can't imagine. The OKKs know they're not home free. Charles will have to work hard to maintain his health as he awaits a new heart. But if the right match is not found, doctors say he could live indefinitely on this device. And thank you for all your support. I love you guys. What a scary situation. To have your whole life dependent on this plastic box that you have in a backpack. To always have this bag strapped to you. And if something did happen to the device, what? You just have to sit down and die? Because without the battery, you simply don't have a heart. However, I'm sure nuclear fusion is right around the corner, and we'll all have Iron Man-esque reactor implants in our chest. Hey, if I have to choose between a titanium alloy in my chest, or what would normally be considered awful, were it from any of the other millions or billions of pigs killed each year, I know what I'd pick. The guide dog issue is also difficult, to say that we don't agree with guide dogs. But really, why would blind people require an extensively trained dog if they could be granted sight? I've heard all about the constant breakthroughs in camera technology. There have long been implants that could detect light. And as the available resolution improves, surely we will one day have artificial eyes. Perhaps they will work like in Predator, with different vision modes for different wavelengths. I wouldn't mind being able to see in the dark, like a cat. Once upon a time, you would have needed a horse to plough fields or to pull a cart for transport. Then, tractors came along. I suppose upper class people have these things called cars as well. I'm sure technology will free us from any long held belief that we need to use animals in any given way. 
Now here's a New Zealand invention that we are marketing to the world. This whole country is founded on animal agriculture. It's all we think about. To a person with a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And speaking of milk, it's often said a glass before bedtime can help you get to sleep. A New Zealand biotech company decided to milk that market and create a sleep-enhancing milk powder called Sleep Time. They tried it in Taiwan with 20,000 distributors and it sold out within half an hour of launching. David Farrier reports. Sleep Time was launched with great fanfare in Taiwan, 88% of those surveyed saying they were getting a better sleep. What sets this milk apart from your typical bog standard milk? Well, we, uh, our founding scientists um, uh, were inspired by the effect that mother's milk uh, had on infants and so found that certain cows um, had the presence of proteins that enhance sleep. According to its creators, Somnusutics, specially selected cows produce milk that contains a high level of sleep-enhancing peptides. The biotech company teamed up with health food company New Image to market the product in Taiwan. Sleep deprivation is a big issue there. In fact, 22%, believe it or not, of the population have severe sleep difficulty. Sold as a sachet that's mixed with water, it went off with a bang. Well, in the trial, it was about 100,000 sachets and uh, we're now looking at ramping up well into the millions of sachets just in Taiwan. What does it taste like? Well, officially, vanilla and honey. It tastes, it tastes good. It tastes all right. Do you, does, it, does it come in chocolate? Any chocolate well, flavour? We're, we're looking at what next, the next flavours uh, that we will launch from here. Chocolate may well be one of them. Right now, you can only buy sleep time overseas, but there are plans to bring it to New Zealand. David Farrier, 3 News. Hey. He better be falling asleep and not making fun of my lisp. The concoction looked gross. It's sort of this white lumpy looking drink. Again, there must be a better way to get to sleep than to rely on keeping female mammals pregnant to drink the fatty secretions from their udders. Normally, when I can't sleep, I listen to some slow-paced R&B music. For example, like this. I hope my visitor from Gary, Indiana was listening. But thank you, yes you, for listening to the 30th episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com If you want to contact me, even just to say you listened, send an email to jwontdart at gmail.com especially if you've got a photo of yourself outside of 2300 Jackson Street, Gary, Indiana, or on Twitter, twitter.com slash J-A-Y-W-O-N-T-D-A-R-T. I'd appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.